0: Hello, and thanks for joining Wicker Park Lutheran Church Sermons. Wicker Park Lutheran Church is a diverse ELCA Lutheran congregation in the Wicker Park neighborhood of Chicago. We gather at 10 a.m. to fully live into our incarnational faith as we experience God's presence in the gathered assembly, and we welcome you to join us. In just a moment, you'll first hear with a gospel reading from the associated sermon for the service that you're about to listen to. We hope that that gospel gives you some context before you jump right into the sermon. Thanks for checking us out, and we hope to see you soon. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out in the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind. What then did you go out to see? Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and violent people take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John came. And if you are willing to accept it, He is Elijah who is to come. Let anyone with ears listen. The gospel of the Lord. Now, I could understand a knee jerk reaction to this reading being something like really more John the Baptist? We did that last week. And we did. But last week, we talked about him baptizing people in the Jordan River, declaring the kingdom of God to be at hand, that the one more powerful than him who will baptize them all with the Holy Spirit is coming. So get ready. And today, we skip about one third of the Gospel of Matthew just to continue journeying with John. And during that third, Jesus does a quite a lot of noteworthy feats, 40 days of temptation in the wilderness. He delivers the Sermon on the Mount, calls the 12, yells at a storm until it calms down. And then there's about a dozen specific stories of Jesus healing people. And woven throughout these stories are ones where Jesus brings good news to the poor and the oppressed. It's a busy time for Jesus. But John has been busy too, baptizing people in the Jordan for quite some time. Jesus goes to him to be baptized and John immediately and unhesitatingly recognizes him as the one to come. Full of humility at Jesus's encouragement, John baptizes him and a little bit of time passes. And then Herod, the chief governor of the region did something quite scandalous. He married his brother's wife, Herodias, which maybe doesn't sound that bad by today's standards, but in that context, marrying your dead brother's widow was considered to be incest. But his brother wasn't dead, and Herod didn't care. He wanted her, so he took her. And while it's easy to paint her as a co-villain in that situation, he's the chief governor and she's just a woman, more property than person. There's a, massive empower, there's a massive power imbalance here. I think it's safe to say that Herodias's situation was complicated. So Herod took her as his wife, even though her husband, his brother, was still very much alive, and brought her to his court. And John would not stay silent about this. He started loudly and publicly declaring that what Herod was doing wasn't right. It wasn't lawful for him to keep her as a wife, and he needed to return her to her husband at once. And like many leaders to this day who are accused of breaking laws and corruption, Herod didn't take too kindly to this, and he threw his detractor in prison. Herod wanted to kill John, but the Judean people recognized him as a prophet, and Herod worried that killing him would result in an uprising. So John remained in prison for a while while Herod tried to work out what he was going to do with him. And while he's in prison, John himself, prophet of the Lord, the voice of one calling out in the wilderness, the cousin of the Messiah, starts to have doubts. He gave up everything he had to proclaim the coming of the kingdom of God, and what does he have to show for it? A cold prison cell, and once Herod can figure out how to justify it politically, and he will, death. Was all that time in the wilderness, the camel-haired shirts, and the diet of locusts and wild honey, was that all for nothing? Jesus certainly isn't acting the way he and the rest of the people thought the Messiah would. He isn't violently overthrowing the occupying military forces and liberating the people. Could John have been wrong this whole time? Is the kingdom of God still so far off? Did he really just waste his entire life? So John, unable to go to Jesus himself, sends some of his disciples to Jesus to ask him, are you the one to come, or do we need to keep waiting? And for John, who is in prison, waiting might mean that he never sees the Messiah after all. And in typical Jesus fashion, Jesus doesn't directly answer his question. Neither a yes or a no, but tell John, what you have seen and heard, blind people can see, people who are paralyzed walk, leprosy is cleansed, deaf people can hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. John, you are well versed in scripture. Did the prophets accomplish these sorts of feats? Well then, you have your answer. And I can't decide if I were in John's position, if I would find this kind of answer more reassuring or frustrating. On the one hand, Jesus, I'm scared and vulnerable. Please, just give me a straightforward answer. I really need it. But on the other hand, I don't need to just take his word for it this way. I have proof I can see through his actions what the answer is. And yes, in my own moments of doubt, I would love if God could just start shouting from the skies and the clouds, yes, I'm here, and I love you. And I've never actually had that kind of moment. But I have had friends drop by unannounced, and reassurance come from unexpected places, seen sunsets that take my breath away, and been tenderly nuzzled by animals that are normally aloof and... While, admittedly, those are less cut and dry answers than the cloud shouting, those sorts of demonstrations do still give me an answer. And I think for me, it's reassuring in this aspect. I am no different than John. God made flesh answers the questions of the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness the same way God answers mine. John didn't get a yes or a no, but his question was answered. But then Jesus goes even further and delivers one more beatitude. Blessed is anyone who is not offended by me. Not blessed is anyone who doesn't question me, or blessed is anyone without any doubt in me, or just blessed is anyone who's not offended. Because Jesus isn't acting the way they thought the Messiah would. This figure that they'd been yearning for and had all these expectations about, Jesus is deviating from that script that the people had written for him. Blessed is anyone who isn't upset or resentful about that. Jesus is going to do what God sent him to do, and it's not what the people were hoping for then, and it's often not what we're hoping for in the here and the now. Blessed are you, if you don't interpret that as a personal insult. And just in case someone in the crowd misunderstood and thought Jesus was upset with John and was somehow reprimanding him, Jesus then addresses the crowd. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? Uh, A reed shaken by the wind? Someone who changes their opinion this way and that and their convictions bend under pressure? Does that sound like John? Someone in grandiose clothes. Well, people in finery live in palaces and John was out in the wilderness wearing a tunic of camel hair, so that can't be it either. No, you traveled all the way out there to see a prophet, didn't you? Because that's who my cousin is, a prophet of the Lord. And Jesus still isn't going to give the crowd an explicit and straightforward answer either, a definitive yes or no if he's the Messiah. But he does confirm that John is the one who prepares the way for the Messiah. And John has testified that the person who is the Messiah is Jesus. So if you are willing to listen to the prophet John's testimony, then you have your answer. Could Jesus have just said, yep, Messiah, that's me. Absolutely. But it's almost like evangelism is important or something and I know I know ELCA folks that's a scary word and we don't want to do it and maybe someone else could and like is that really a priority but here is God made flesh and while he is completely capable of saying who he is he still decides for now at least to let that role of testimony rely entirely on others And yes, that man is a prophet and more than a prophet, the greatest person who has arisen thus far because all of the other prophets got to declare that the kingdom of God was coming, but John got to be the first to say the kingdom is here. Even still, the Messiah himself decided that this man's testimony was enough with no indication that this period of doubt negated it. Jesus still, relies on him. And yet in the kingdom of God, he will be the least. John is beheaded around two years before Jesus' arrest. He never gets to witness the resurrection. He gets to preach the good news of God coming into the world, but the good news that on the third day God rose again, the good news of the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting, he wouldn't live long enough to see those things realized. For this reason, though he was once the greatest, the least in the kingdom is greater than he. You are greater than him. And that's not a jab against John, just an acknowledgement that you have so much more to testify about than he ever did. And I know, I know, Vicar, that's a lot of pressure. I'm not nearly as important as John the Baptist, and what if I mess something up, or I have all these theological questions, and so how could I? And I'm here to tell you that, yes, you are just as important to God as John the Baptist is, and you will for sure mess something up. That's just how being human works. It's what you do afterwards that matters. You've got this. And as for having theological questions, well, that just means that you are in good company. Jesus tells the people that if they are willing to accept it, John is Elijah. He doesn't mean literally Elijah, but rather one filling the same role as him. And Elijah did quite a number of marvelous feats that testify to God's power and love. And even so, he fell into a period of deep depression and no longer had the strength to endure. So God sent an angel to bring him food and water and encouraged him to rest. And then Elijah confronts God, laying his uncertainties before the Lord of hosts. And God listens to what Elijah has to say and responds by bringing in more community to help him and support him. Jesus says that John is Elijah, but he's not just Elijah in his moments of strength. John remains Elijah even in this moment of vulnerability. Neither John nor Elijah got reprimanded for being forthcoming about their uncertainties. They were both met with tenderness and pointed back to community. John is Elijah, not despite his questioning. John is Elijah, including the times that he questions. And in so doing, he models intentionally or not how perfectly God is at ease with your questions and insecurities and impatience and doubts. It's not a failure. It's just part of a prophet's role. So keep bringing those questions to Jesus, and he will keep answering them, though perhaps not in the manner that you expected. And rejoice, because you get to follow in the footsteps of this great prophet, and yet you get to go further still. Amen.